0: Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be in verse 11. We're going to be picking up, however, in the middle of verse 10, but uh, we're in the middle of the signs that precede the coming of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what it's going to be like right before Jesus returns, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24. Um, Jesus speaking about these signs. He's talking to his disciples in the first few verses. First, uh, I think verse one and two of chapter 24. And they were in Jerusalem. Remember, this is the last week of Jesus's earthly ministry here. He's about to die. He steps out uh, of, you know, of the temple grounds as they're walking towards what would be, um, well, what is the temple, uh, not the temple Mount, the uh, Mount of Olives there. So it's basically that temple is built in this area. And then it just dips down, comes right back up onto a hill called the Mount of Olives. And so they're going to leave And, and as they are, they're just marveling at the stones. We've talked about the architecture. We've talked about all that, just the amazingness of the temple. Well, what happens is Jesus says, you see all these stones, not one will be left on another. And they're just blown away at what is going on. What are you talking about? This whole place will be decimated. Jesus basically said, and so Jesus uh, in, and as I shared with you last week, guys, the disciples did not understand that there's going to be a large gap of time between his first coming and his second coming. It was kind of, it's a mystery. It was revealed in the old Testament, kind of hidden in between verses and all this type of stuff. Uh, but it was really hidden for them. Their understanding was that Jesus was the Messiah was going to come and he was going to establish his kingdom right then, right there. And in a way, obviously he has his spiritual kingdom, but the physical kingdom is what they were expecting um, in Luke 19, it tells us that Jesus had to give them a parable as they were going up to Jerusalem that last week, because they thought that the kingdom was coming immediately They're We're going to Jerusalem. And it's like, okay, the kingdom's coming now. We can't wait to get there. And Jesus has been telling them all, all along. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Somehow they plug their ears on that one in acts one, you flip to Acts, So, uh, Acts 1, it seems the same sentiment was going on. It speaks of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Acts 1 picks up where Luke, the end of Luke, left off, obviously, written by the same guy. And Jesus is about to ascend. And in verse 6 of Acts 1, it says, And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is what they're asking. When's your kingdom coming? Now? After you've died and rose again? Is it happening now? In verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. He says, I'm not telling you, (laughs) not for you to know. And he's going to say that again here in Matthew 24, but he says, but it is for you. You're going to receive power from the Holy spirit and you'll be my witnesses. See your purpose is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, um, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what I've called you to do. You just worry about what I've called you to do. And so then Jesus ascends into heaven, and then the angels. There's two angels there. Luke says in verse 11, they they address people who are watching Jesus ascend into heaven as they're looking at the glory of heaven. It's amazing. He said, they say, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is, this Jesus who you have taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. He is going to return in great glory." And that's the begin the ascension and the return are going to be essentially the same thing. The way he left is the way he's coming back. Pretty amazing. Now what happens in between? <laughs> There's a gap of time, right? The disciples didn't know it. We we've learned about it. Well, the New Testament kind of explains it. The church is born in Acts 2 the Holy spirit fell upon the church and the church was born. So we're now in what is called the church age or the time of the Gentiles. Those two kind of overlap. The next thing on the prophetic timeline is the tribulation. If you're looking at the big picture, the tribulation, which many believe begins with the rapture of the church. And at the same time, uh, the revealing of the antichrist, the beast. And so the next thing that people can expect is the rapture of the church immediately happening, coinciding with the revelation of the, of the beast, the antichrist who will be making a treaty with Israel. And we'll get into that some other time, but at the end of that seven year tribulation, and that's what that is a seven year period that leading up to the return of Jesus Christ, Jesus returns at the end and he returns to judge the nations. That's Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. And he put it back to the end and I have as well, but it it's appears to be, the judging of the nations, Matthew 25. And he, at that time, at the end of that time, he ushers in his thousand year reign, his kingdom, his kingdom on earth. that was spoken of by the prophets. This is the kingdom they were waiting for. And they were longing for. When are you going to do that? And by the way, just to fill in the timeline at the end of that thousand year reign is the great white throne judgment. I'm making it very simple right now. We're waiting for the tribulation or the rapture, the, the rapture of the church, the antichrist to be revealed the ushers us into that seven year tribulation. At the end of that time, Jesus returns, judges the nations, establishes his thousand year rule. And at the end of that thousand years, it appears that revelation teaches us that there's a great white throne judgment. There absolutely is. So that's 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 the big picture for us to look at. And by the way, different believers see these things differently. But what we all agree upon is that Jesus Christ is returning. He's coming back. That's what unites us as Christians. That's orthodoxy. That's we all agree. We might disagree with the timing or the rapture or I'm uh, a mid post pre, pre all that kind of stuff. And that's important because it isn't as clear as we think it is in scripture. But guess what? What's really clear is Jesus is coming back. And every believer throughout all time had an anticipation in their heart that Jesus is returning at any moment. Whatever that means, there's an anticipation. And we're going to see that anticipation as you move out of Matthew 24 into the parables that he talks about, about being ready, living, being ready. That's the important application for us. But in the meantime, Jesus goes, okay, I'm going to be coming back, but here are the signs that you need to know about before I return. This is what's going to be happening on the earth before I return. And we've gone over some of these signs and beginning in verse four, he talks about them. He says, well, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And remember, he's talking to his disciples. They're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says there will be, well, first false Christ. I apologize. First false Christ, those claiming to be Christ and many will follow after him. We know that they're demonically inspired. There's power behind them. That is why people are deceived. It's not just simply, I mean, we look at people go, I'm Jesus. You're like, Oh no, you're not. But when those are accompanied with supernatural things behind them, people go, Whoa, what's going on here? And that's, the, how the deception comes about. There's a spiritual deception. So, false Christ, and wars and ru- rumors of wars. And you can imagine, as war were to break out around here, in Walla Walla is in ashes, and Seattle's in ashes, and we've got massive issues going on here. We go, This is the end. Well, Jesus tells his disciples, Well, when Jerusalem gets destroyed, basically, that's not the end. The end is not yet. He says, when you see those things, don't think that's it. There's going to be famine and pestilence as war brings. And as we've been experimenting with in (laughs) labs and all these things and everywhere that's going around, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, I mean, we, we have, we're manipulating things that can wipe out the whole world militarily. I mean, we have things buried out there that we didn't, we don't want you know, we've done some funky stuff with stuff that can cause mass destruction, you know, nuclear weapons, as opposed to just regular warfare, but all the biological and chemical stuff we've created. I mean, it's a reality. And so there'll be famine and pestilence. He says and earthquakes in various places, these things are happening. And Jesus says in verse eight, and this is an important key verse of these signs that, and the one we'll go through today—that all—all these are but the beginning of birth pains. And so, as Jesus described these signs, it is important to note that although these signs would be going on in the lives of the disciples, as well as for us, that just before the return of Christ, there would be a great and sudden intensity of these signs. That's what they. That that's when the end was about to come when there was a sudden huge, massive worldwide influx of all these things, all at once upon the world, like labor pains. And they come suddenly and more rapidly in that seven year period. And that's what revelation chapter nine through, uh, sorry, six through 19 explains to us three judgments with judgments within them that are rolled out onto the earth that all correlate with all these types of things. And so it's not just an earthquake or it's not just a war. There's going to be global war. There's going to be global pestilence. There's going to be global persecution. There's going to be global, uh, an earthquake that shakes the world to its foundation where every city is leveled and then Christ returns. So um, this is, this is what he's talking about. There's going at the end of that process, there's going to be a birth It's going to come with the return of Christ and he is going to put a new kingdom on this earth, his kingdom that will never end. That's what he's speaking out. And we see the world is getting ready for that. And we've gone over that. I'm not going to re go over that um, this week. And so we left off with Jesus telling his disciples, one of the signs in verse 10, that would be intensifying that they could expect and that we should expect, but will really come about in that seven year tribulation in verse 10, we left off in verses nine and 10. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm confused. 10. Yeah, that's 10. No, we're verse nine. Flip over to verse nine. If we could. Yeah. Verse nine. Sorry. L- verse nine is the one I want to look at dyslexia. A lot of verses going on a lot going on this weekend. Verse nine. The sign it says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is a sign that is going to be coming upon the world and particularly upon whom believers This is what Jesus wants his disciples to know. And by the way, he said to them in Luke before all these other things happen, this is going to happen to you. I want you to know it's happening to you right away that you will be delivered up to tribulation and put to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And Luke's gospel tells us that um, before all the other signs, just to, to expect persecution. And so as believers, we need to expect persecution. We've had it pretty easy in this nation. When I was growing up, anybody else like very easy, very easy here. I'm just talking about from the American perspective. And so while worldwide persecution of believers on a global scale is coming in the meantime, um, we're to expect an increasing uh, persecution until that sudden jolt happens and And we spoke last week about how the disciples were delivered up to tribulation. They were delivered up to tribulation. We've read about that in the new Testament. We also see that in extra biblical uh, history and that word tribulation again it means oppressing it means a crushing and it that brings about anguish and sorrow and so the world dishes out its tribulation upon believers that's what is coming expect to be hated by all men Jesus says by all nations for what why why are you hated because you go to CCF Why? Because you bear his name. It's for his namesake because you're his. That's why the world hates you. Not just because they go to church. It's because they lived according to his word. They bear his name. He's in them and you're in him. You're one where his heart is. Your heart is. What his truth is, is your truth. What his standards for society are, are your standards for society. Jesus said to them in John 15, 18 through 27, that they will be hated. They will hate you because they hated me first. Why am I being hated? Ah, because you're mine. Don't you know they hated me first? Why are you going to be handed over to be persecuted and die? Well, because I was handed over to be persecuted and die. But think about this before you get like all bummed out. Cause I know I've been bumming you out lately. Is that just as he suffered and died, so we might suffer and die, but just as he rose again and ascended. So we too will rise again. And just as he is in glory, we will be in glory. Listen, it's the cross before the crown. Okay. So hang in there, right? And so the disciples were expecting persecution and we're to expect it. And when the Antichrist comes and that tribulation comes about, there will be a global massive persecution and execution of those who bear his name in a way that we've never seen before. That's what's coming. We're praying that we get raptured out of here, right? That's what I'm praying for. But if that doesn't work out and we got the verses wrong, you going to abandon ship. I'm, I, I'm, listen, I the only the reason why I'm throwing that out there is because I just want you to be prepared for all scenarios, <laughs> but that we're expecting his rescue, but know this, that the scriptures are clear. And this is very important for us to know. There are believers in the tribulation period. You cannot get around it. They are there and they all die. That's what's happening. And so I struggle with the theology that we're saved from his wrath, but they aren't right. So I just throwing that out there. So what is the wrath? That's the question I ask not to throw a doubt in, in your, in your thing, but I want you to put your hope in him, right? In him in all circumstances, in all places, whether there's things falling apart around us or whether you personally have cancer in your body or whether whatever is going on, right? our hope is in him, in him and that we should all agree upon. And so you read about that persecution in Revelation seven and Revelation 13, Revelation seven, describing those who've died during the, tribulation, particularly the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years. We'll get into that next week. And then revelation 13 describes that the beast was able to make war with the saints and he decimated them. God allowed it for his purposes. So persecution is a sign. And we pick up now in verse 10. Yay. With another sign that Jesus tells us will be happening and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another another sign that is going to precede the coming of Jesus Christ his soon return is that there will be many who stumble and fall away and cause others to stumble and fall away that's the next sign apostasy is the idea there and what is in view here are those falling away who claim to be Christians They're claiming to be Christians, but they're truly not flip over to Matthew 13. With me, Matthew 13 in your Bibles, particularly verse 20. I want you to know the verse so that you can go to it and think about this. If you don't have a Bible, there should be in the seat, one in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible. It's yours. And if you really want to dig deep in the word of God and you don't have a study Bible, come see. Marcus or myself after service. And we'll make sure you have a study Bible so you can get deep into the word. So God's good. Lord is blessed. Matthew 13. Jesus gave the parable of the sower. Remember that parable farmer goes out, casts seed on ground. It lands on four different types of soil. Well, what does that mean? Well, one of them Jesus explains in in, he explains all of them, but he explains one in depth here. And this is the one I want to focus on in chapter uh, 13 verses 20 and 21. It's the soil that landed on rocky ground. It says, as for the, what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. And so the seed is the word It goes into a human heart. And immediately he receives it with joy. Oh yes, this is awesome. I love Jesus. I love the church. I love singing songs. Let's do all this. Verse 21. And yet he has no root in himself. Jesus says, see, Jesus can see what we can't, but he endures for a while, endures, endures, he endures for a while. It's important to remember that. And when what comes tribulation, oppressing a crushing anguish in their life. Why? From what on account of what the word immediately he does. What falls away. A stumbling, a falling away. And so what Jesus is describing here are those that say they follow Christ, but prove otherwise when persecution comes, when the heat comes on account of the word. And this is the thing. I think it's important when we, you know, we're preaching quite often. I say we meaning pastors, pastors, Aren't preaching the full gospel, what it truly means, what sin is, what is appalling to God, and allowing the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word to convict the human heart. And it's a, not a popular message. Why? Because we're all on the losing team. I don't want to hear that. And so when you preach the word, it convicts us of what God views of, of us, right? our sin in our 31 flavors of sin that we all have in various forms and ways, right? How we're all have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not trying to minimize any of our sin. It's just that we're all pretty sunk. And so we'd rather not preach that. And so we preach just a lopsided gospel. And here's the thing. Jesus is very neat. Name means God saves saves from what? Well, there's judgment coming for sin. Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. He is fierce about sin. It has no place in his kingdom. He died to eradicate it in our hearts. He died to eradicate it, not to foster it and to let it go. And all this type of stuff. This is what Jesus uses in terms of your right hand causes you to sin. What do you do with it? you know, cut it off. These are the kind of, this is how, this is his view. And so as we preach the real gospel, the hardness of it, it also maximizes the grace, (laughs) right? Because if my sin is so bad and the judgment is so fierce, then what kind of sacrifice would have had to be given to save me from that? And that's Jesus, the greatest, the purest, the cleanest, the beloved son of God who came and loved us in the middle of our deadly poison that runs through our veins. And he came to save us from it, cleanse us from it, and to draw us to himself in that eternal relationship with the father And so, what does he say to do? You got to repent. You've got to turn. Well, how do I do that when I'm so caught up by all this stuff? It's faith. You believe and you step towards him, regardless of what's going on inside of you. You trust him. And he's the one who does it for you, not you. It's him working in you. And you move towards him. I hope this is really uncomfortable. Because when people experience persecution, it's on account of his word, what God says about sin, what God says about judgment, what God says about repenting, what God says about all the issues that we're struggling with in our day. When you stand with him on these things, on account of the word, the world doesn't like it. And therefore it puts its fury and its tribulation against the light. So it tried to snuff it out. And here's another thing. If we remain a compromised church, where's the light? Where's the the focus? Because we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to, we want to save our own lives. We're not willing to step into the cross. This is what Jesus is talking about. And so, at that point, when people who claim to be Christians experience tribulation or persecution on account of the word, it's at that point that Jesus says they fall away, they stumble. They abandoned the faith in order to save their own lives. And some would say they lose their salvation. That's not what it says. It's showing who they truly were because guess what believers do? They believe they endure, right? And that's the purpose of the parable. The things that do not endure based upon the various influences versus the one that does endure and bears good fruit. And then he goes on and explains there are different types of trees. What kind of tree bears? What kind of fruit? So the endurance is a proof of our faith. It's important to know. And so when tribulation comes, it doesn't mean we don't struggle and buckle on all those things, but ultimately who do we gravitate towards? Where else do I go? Where else do I go for you've got it. You've got the, you have the words of life. I'm yours. You're mine. So back in Matthew 24, Jesus says that these people will be the people who turn on one another and upon believers. Interesting. That'll be a sign apostasy. Where we're turning on one another or those who are supposed to be Christians are a turning on other Christians to save themselves. we got a little taste in this division within family. And we'll talk about that a little bit during COVID. Didn't we? How many of you all saw the same on everything? How about the church? Did we all see the same, have the same theology, the same understanding, all that stuff. Now, I know that that there are, there were people who were dying and those things, but imagine if by government force, your life was going to be taken unless you gave up those who were Christians, what would you do? You see what I'm saying? That there is coming a time where there's going to be a global government force killing Christians and they're going to be giving up because they're not truly Christians and they're going to be giving up their own. That's what the scriptures talk about. Apostasy has been present throughout the ages and there are many reasons for it. This falling away it persecution is one. And as we'll see next week, there's false teaching love of the world. There's love of money. All these things are going on, but Jesus experienced apostasy. He experienced it firsthand in his ranks Who was the apostate among Jesus's crew? Judas. What was this? What was his issue? Did he hate Jesus? Truly he did. But why? Because he loved something else more. What did he love more? Love money. And so when it came down to it, was Judas going to be persecuted or was he going to get paid? He got paid. The disciples experienced it. Think of Paul with Demas. Paul's writing from a dank Roman prison cell at the end of his life, most likely. And he's in this dark place and he's writing and saying, listen, he's writing to, who's he writing to again? Oh my gosh, Timothy. Yes. But he's also in there. He says, listen, you know, let ask for Mark to come with me Yeah, bring Mark. By the way, Mark had abandoned him at first, but he came back. That's pretty cool. But he says of Demas, this guy who'd followed him in ministry, the guy who'd been around with him for so long and done all these things with him. What did he say of him? He said in 2 Timothy four, nine through 10, Paul writes, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas is in love with this present world and he abandoned Paul's in prison. Demas is like, I'm out. I'm done with this. And he loved this present world and he abandoned Paul. He abandoned the ministry and went to Thessalonica for whatever reason. It does not say, I don't know whether he's saved or not. I don't have, I can't see into his soul, but this is the kind of stuff that has happened and will be happening. Do your best to come to me, right? He was unwilling to suffer. And Jesus experienced that betrayal. The apostles experienced betrayal. the trail. The church has experienced that throughout time and church history is full of examples. And I'm sure we've all, seen those who have stumbled and fallen away for various reasons. How many of you knew people that are just on fire for Jesus at one time, and then all of a sudden they aren't various reasons. Someone heard him in the church. They didn't like something. Something happened. Someone betrayed them. Someone hurt them, whatever it might be. Someone taught them weird stuff. They just wanted to go have toys. Their love grew cold, whatever it might be. I, Perhaps it got too hard when they had to choose a side. What Jesus is focusing on here, first in verse 11 there, or verse 10, is those who abandon ship because of persecution. And Jesus says in Matthew 13 that they stumble because they are being persecuted because of the word. So persecution has a way of revealing. Who's in, who's out, what's really going on. So it's actually, there's a blessing to it, even though no one wants it and keep it away from me. Amen. But nevertheless, it has a way of revealing what's going on. Same with trials, right? It thins the herd. When people are pressed about what they believe in the face of persecution, they either stand firm or they fold. And this is why I'm taking time on this is because this is what's being pressed upon you more and more and more. You stand with Jesus or you fold because the world's pushing in. They're pushing in what you should believe. And it contradicts what the word is more and more and more. Listen, and this is important for us to recognize is that as society becomes more and more godless, there is becoming less and less tolerance for what the word of God says. You know, the world's tolerance for the truth is becoming unbearable. Like in Acts 7, when Stephen was being stoned, he was preaching to them and it says that the Pharisees and it says that the Guys there, including Paul, by the way, who was one of the ones who stood who was presiding over that execution of Stephen says they were grinding their teeth as Paul was preaching and they were plugging his ears, plugging their ears. We do not want to hear this anymore. We're tired of you. You're so wrong. And that's what the attitude of the world towards true believers is. Uh, right is becoming. And this is why many churches, we change our theology. As a pastor, you see less and less people being willing to tolerate the word. And I ask myself, okay, am I just a horrible communicator? And you go through the whole things in your mind and what's going on. And we just need to, you know, have more dog and pony show and all this kind of stuff. You know, you, you go through the enemy throws things in, you have your own flesh. You've got all these things going in and there might be some of that, that truth in there, but there's a pressure to change what is being preached. There's a real pressure to make the theology fit the culture. And the lie is in order to reach the culture, you got to become like the culture. And they'll take verses like Paul says, I become all things to all people. Well, Paul is not saying I'm becoming what they are to reach them. He's saying I'm not letting any social or cultural differences, in other words, to a Gentile, I will act as a Gentile, to a Jew, I'll I'll hold their customs but I'm not going to sin against God to do this. I'm going to remain holy. Does that make sense? And so more and more people won't even entertain biblical Christianity or preach it from the pulpit because it's incompatible with what the culture is requiring of them. And more importantly, what's in their hearts and they're definitely unwilling to be persecuted if the goal is to get more people, so you get more money so you can build your kingdom, then you better be telling them what they want to hear. I want more likes. I want more followers. And so therefore this needs to happen, but we're not in that business church. The church is not in that business. We're, we're about him and, and we're not, going to create some kind of new fun message for everybody to follow. So you can feel good about yourselves. And it's a lie. He's awesome. We don't need to change anything. He's saying, you just need to sit here and read it and love him. And maybe, you know, he's gifted us to explain some things. They hated him. They're going to hate you. Embrace the cross or, or you'll run away. But choose now. The enemy is perfectly fine with people, by the way, easing their conscience with religion. Just as long as it's false. It doesn't have Jesus at the center. So for those of us who will not compromise, who love and fear the Lord and revere the Lord, and you'll have to, Bear that out of your life. You'll suffer. It's a promise. Paul says to Second Timothy in 3, 2, three 12 through thirteen from that same prison cell. He says, "Indeed, all who desire to live godly a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." That's a promise. How many of you have promises from God? Underline that one. I want to live godly, and I will be persecuted. What keeps you from sharing the gospel? I'm not trying to condemn. This is probably the same thing that goes on with me. I don't, I don't want to be disliked. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to have broken relationships. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to lose my job. Anybody else? But that's a lot of, I don't want us. What about what he wants? What would he do in and through you? If you just embraced him, He said, I'm willing, send me anywhere. I'll do what you say. You're Lord. I'm not. I forgot about that. Forgive me. I know I'm supposed to witness this person. I haven't. Forgive me. I'm going. It's going to be messy. I know you're with me. Things might blow up, but I know you're with me in the middle of it because you're more important than anything in your gospels. Glorious. It's what we all need. Paul says indeed all desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Believers are going to get hurt and persecuted and imposters and evil people are going to get worse and worse, worse and worse. That's going to happen. And let me say that when the birth pains commence, when the tribulation begins, there's going to be, this will be one of the major contractions. Persecution that results in a great falling away. That's what's going to happen. Paul says also in second Thessalonians 2:3, important to write that one down. Second Thessalonians two, three Paul is speaking to the church in Thessalonica because some false prophets who were going around saying that the Lord had already returned. And so Paul reiterates what Jesus says here. He says, in verse three, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction gives two major signs, the rebellion and the re- revelation of the lawless one, two things that have to happen. First, the word in Greek care for rebellion for falling away is, is the word apostasy It's translated apostasy. Before Jesus comes, there has to be an apostasy. That's what he's saying. And then the man of perdition or the the antichrist will be revealed. Those two things have to happen. And so this is what he's saying. There has to be a massive defection before. And some people say this is, this is a verse associated with the rapture. It's not. This is talking about an apostasy. And back in verse 10 of verse 24, Jesus wants us to know the same thing that those will, those who will fall away will betray one another and hate one another. Scary stuff. The mark of a true believer is love for one another. Love protects, right? That's how we know we're believers. We love one another. We're not going to give each other up and we'd rather lose our own lives than that why would we want to lose our own lives that others might live? Does that remind you of anyone? Yeah. The one we're supposed to be following, right? John in first John two nine says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Simple, but true. So Jesus is speaking about those who are not true believers. They're still in darkness. They never knew him. And when the heat of the, battle comes when the persecution comes, the mask comes off. And so who will be those who stumble and are hating and betraying just, we've already talked about it. Luke 21, 16, and you will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some who say uh, some of you, they will put to death. He goes on. Yes. The enemies will be those of your own household. That's why I was, talking about like our differences on COVID. What do you think is going to happen then? Serious stuff. Now I'm not trying to get you to turn on one another. That's not what I'm done. You know, you walk around the house, (laughs) put that knife in the drawer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, just saying the reality is that it's just going to cut so close. It's going to cut so close. Those who said they were Christians were not, but when persecution came, you find out their love is for self, not for God, not for one another. In Matthew 1013, 13, uh, 1031, excuse me, Matthew 1031, Jesus says, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth, but I have come to bring, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have set for, I'm sorry, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And I, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own house household. Now the context of that verse, I took it out of context a little bit, but the context of the verse is about there, that there should be a love and a devotion for God above all else. That's the purpose of that verse. Okay. But you see the division comes down on our side because we love God above anyone else. And on their side, the division comes because they love, they don't love God. You see how the division comes Now, and you know, well, just there's a lot there. I I, I want to end. Apostasy is a sign that Jesus gives us of His coming. It happened. It's happening now, but in that time, right before He comes, there's going to be that great falling away. Great falling away betraying one another, hating one another, abandoning, let your love, letting your love grow cold, all those things. Listen, I took it slow on these two verses because I think these two things are right. They're right for us. I just want us to be aware. Persecution's coming to your door, whether it's in the form of you must comply to X, Y, and Z, and it's against what God says, be willing to suffer. Don't be a fool and don't be, you know, we don't want to be, we want to be sweet and and representative of the Lord at the same time we stand with him. So don't capitulate. Don't capitulate to evil. Stand with righteousness. Stand with him. And secondly, the apostasy. It's happening. It's happening now all these things about Christianity and people are going away. It's like, this is what Jesus talked about. Don't freak out. He says, it's going to happen. So what are you supposed to do? Keep your eyes on him. Does it feel like I end the same message with the same thing? Every time we just keep following Jesus. We keep loving him. But here, I just want to encourage you. Be bold. Be strong in the Lord. It's the same thing he told his people back in Joshua. Be strong, be bold, be courageous. For The Lord, your God is with you. Be bold, be strong, be courageous because the Lord, your God is with you. Be bold, be strong. God's with you. Amen. He loves you fiercely. And if pain and suffering comes into your life, it's an opportunity to rejoice that you are worthy to suffer for his name. You know, you're on the right side. If it's not because you're a murderer and a slanderer and all these things that Peter warns against, but it's because you stand in the light of, You stand in his love. You stand in his word and you're counted among his in the midst of what's going on. Amen. So hold the line. Amen. And when we see one another getting hit, be sensitive to one another. We need one another. Love one another deeply. Amen. I need you. And I'm thankful for you. By the way, God is so good. So let's continue to, we're going to pick up the pace here in, in, in Matthew 24. Okay. Guys are slowing me down. (sighs) Lord, thank you for slowing me down. I I have a lot to learn and you're teaching me God. And I thank you that as you, as you're showing me things, Lord, I get to share them with your body. And I know you're speaking to them and teaching them as you are the master teacher. Thank you for your spirit that's with us. And so Lord, encourage our hearts this morning. You are so bright and glorious. And we have a world that's sunny and bright outside that we get to live in today. And we get to go be with family and friends. And I just want to thank you for that. It's not all crazy in the moment, but Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts. We love you so much. God, I just pray for that person in the room who's just feels like they're defeated because they've capitulated. Lord, put your arm around them and encourage them. Bring them back in and uh, just remind them of how faithful you are. Love you so much. In your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.